you see the faces of people, right? And you see yeah. uh, the engineers uh, working long hours, doing their presentations, very passionate about uh, making one small contribution to the specifications that they feel will change things. So you, when you put faces uh, to the people, right? And you see their work and for the most part, I would say very humble, friendly, but brilliant people uh, that at the end all together are building these kind of things, one contribution after another, one improvement after another. It, it's a very humbling experience for me. It's not just one brilliant person. It's not just one effort. It's a lot of very humble people working very long hours and discussing a lot in a very academic, I'll say, fashion, how to make things better. It's, it's very rewarding on my end. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the premier resource for industry insiders and newcomers alike to explore anything and everything wireless telecommunication. We discuss, explain, and explore all things wireless technology. So let's dive right in. Welcome your host, Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Hey, real quick, a quick word of thanks to today's sponsor, Vertex Innovations, before we get started. For over 17 years, Vertex has been building the nation's wireless and broadband networks. Providing project management, network engineering, and construction oversight are just some of the ways Vertex helps their clients. So if you're looking for more of a partner to help you with your wireless network designs, construction, implementation, or operations, reach out to Vertex. You can find them at vertex-us.com. That's V-E-R-T-E-X-U-S.com. Welcome back for another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith, and joined by my co-host, Dan McVaugh. Hey, everyone. Welcome back for another episode. Uh, excited about today's guest. Today, we have Ignacio Contreras from Qualcomm's Technologies Incorporated. Uh, those familiar with wireless technology and the, the industry know Qualcomm quite well, but um, those that that are not, um, you should know that uh, you know Qualcomm is basically on the Mount Rushmore of wireless technology companies. So we're super excited to to have Ignacio. Ignacio is the senior director of product marketing at Qualcomm, where he leads a team responsible for the company's 5G, RF and infrastructure, AI, gaming, multimedia, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and technology licensing. So he's got a lot of responsibilities there and be able to talk to a lot of great stuff with us today. Um, he joined Qualcomm in 2009 in support of their expansion of 3G and 4G businesses in both automotive and Internet of Things. Uh, prior to his current role, he managed media and analyst communications in support of the automotive and Internet of Things businesses. Ignacio went to school getting his Bachelor's of Science in Industrial Engineering and a Master of Engineering at Sciences at uh, Catholic University in Chile, and he also has an MBA uh, with an emphasis in technology strategy and marketing from UC Berkeley. So quite the credentialed uh, guest today, Ignacio, we're, we're excited to have you. Welcome. Hello, Dan. Hello, Wayne. And thank you so much for having me here. You bet. Let's start off with uh, uh, with Qualcomm. Tell us about Qualcomm. Give our listeners a bit of a history of what the company uh, is, what you guys do. Well, I can tell you that Qualcomm is probably one of the most important and most unknown uh, companies in technology, uh, particularly relevant when it comes to wireless and mobile technology overall. The company was started in San Diego, California, where I'm based now, 
in 1985. It was created by seven founders who sold another company that ventured before a focus on communications for the defense industry. That's why we're here in San Diego, because there's an important defense industry here. So the prior company the founders had, it was based here, and that kind of set the roots for what's now Qualcomm. And they started without a lot of uh, knowledge. Uh, we have like several kind of PhDs and MIT professors there, uh, but with no clear business plan. They just kind of genius people and say, let's do something else together. So the first business that the company had was in fact nothing related to mobile communications. It was tracking, uh, kind of a satellite tracking systems for, uh, for tracks, right? For uh, mobility overall. And uh, that business was fairly good. It was a fairly profitable business. And that funded the R&D for the company to then enter into a wireless communications for cellular. Uh, the main breakthrough of the company and what it makes the company fairly famous for in terms of the history is uh, the technology called CDMA, uh, Code Division Multiple Access which was a fairly novel technology uh, that was implemented in 3G to be able to pack a lot more voice calls and texts and start sending data over cellular networks. That became the mainstream technology for all uh, 3G networks and then 4G and now we're going to 5G as well. So uh, in the um, 90s, the company started building everything because the technology was so new that uh, no major companies were keen on investing in such new technology. So you have Qualcomm uh, building, of course, not just the uh, R&D, the designing, the uh, wireless technology that was going to be used, but also building uh, phones. So there are Qualcomm phones back in the 90s, uh, building cellular base stations, so those antennas and that you see out there that connect our phones to the base stations and building chips even for a um, mobile phone. And that set the path for what the company is today. The company started becoming a, a large semiconductor company for the mobile industry, uh, now famous for what's called the Snapdragon processors. Uh, the company divested the cell phones, the um, also the infrastructure business, but uh, focus on all the R&D for uh, mobile devices and then of course set the base for what's now 4g and then 5g technology as well uh, expanded into what now is um, not just the cellular communication but all the key technology that you have in your mobile devices so multimedia ai wi-fi as well so if you have any of the listeners here have a um, phone right in your pocket or in your purse, very, very likely you have a piece of Qualcomm technology in there. And now it's one of the major forces in the development and commercialization of 5G and also expanding into not just uh, mobile phones, but also automotive, internet of things, PCs, you name it, a lot of uh, areas where Qualcomm has the footprint. So hopefully that provides a bit of a background of what the company is. Uh, again, one of the largest and probably most unknown companies in the tech space. Yeah, that's awesome. I, basically, if you've got a if you've got a mobile device of any kind, whether it's a phone or an Internet of Things device, 
it's it's a Qualcomm device, most likely, especially in the United States. Who who would you say is uh, one of your competitors in that space? Would that be uh, Samsung, possibly, or or who else kind of does what you guys do? Yeah, it's interesting because there's a lot of uh, what are calling these frenemies here or uh, <laughs> cooperation competition. Uh, so, for instance, uh, companies like um, Apple, right, or Samsung. Uh, they, of course, are customers of Qualcomm, uh, buying some of the chips that powered either the cell communications or the entire uh, phone system, but also they work to create their own uh, chips overall that also power their own devices. You have companies like MediaTek also that uh, they, like Qualcomm, produce and um, distribute chips for phones. And you also companies that do R&D, just like Qualcomm, that invests in the fundamental technology that creates 4G, 5G, AI, and other technologies. And you can talk about um, companies like Ericsson, Nokia, Huawei, that are very strong in developing uh, fundamental technology, but also are our partners, right? Uh, because phones need to connect to infrastructure, and those companies provide infrastructure as well. So it's a somehow convoluted picture, but then it's a testament of the technology environment in general, where you need to cooperate and cooperate at global scale to make things like 5G happen, but also uh, it's very active in terms of competition and bringing uh, devices and the best technology very quickly to market. Faces uh, to the people, right? And you see their work and for the most part, I would say very humble, friendly, but brilliant people uh, that at the end all together are building these kind of things, one contribution after another, one improvement after another, it, it's a very humbling experience for me. It's not just one brilliant person. It's not just one. Yeah, so it's pretty fascinating when you think of the mobile device and how far they've come. And for a lot of listeners, you know, one of the things they use their mobile for is gameplay. And so what's Qualcomm's, you know, how does it enhance gameplay over the mobile device? Because, you know, I think we see more and more games on our devices and, and tons of people love that part of the technology. I love gaming because if you look at a, a mobile device, probably the user experience that stressed most technology, uh, not just connectivity, but also uh, the graphics, the sound, the whole experience is gaming overall. So lots of efforts to uh, create the best game experience uh, here from Qualcomm, from Snapdragon chips, because if you create a great game experience, very likely you will create a great experience for many other things that you do with your phones or your PC or any other devices. So lots of emphasis on the graphic processing unit, um, kind of a development in terms of how you can further increase the resolution you can sustain, like a, even 4K or up to 8K resolution but also how many frames per second, right? You can process uh, now going into 144 uh, frames per second. The things that used to be kind of on the, only on the realm of PC gaming or console gaming overall, uh, in terms of sound as well. So how you create technology that when you're using your Bluetooth uh, headphones, uh, the latency, right, is still not uh, an issue. So you can hear real time what's happening. And same with connectivity, right? Particularly as you're playing uh, cloud gaming overall or multiplayer gaming, uh, latency is very important in network communication. Maybe not necessarily just all the, th the data speeds, 
but the responsiveness of the network is key because if you're playing a game like uh, Fortnite, right, for instance, uh, or Call of Duty, uh, a few milliseconds of delay in your control responding might be the difference in terms of winning or losing, like basically you're alive or dead on the game. So there's a lot of effort that goes into um, the uh, gaming uh, technology overall, but I was really stressed because a lot of that, uh, if you can shine on gaming, uh, there's a good benchmark that you can provide a good experience just watching your videos or listening to your music or just browsing the internet is probably one of the highest bars that we can find in terms of technology development for mobile devices and other devices overall. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that because I've uh, I've done some some looking at some of the stuff going on with uh, augmented reality and virtual reality, AR and VR, and and I I understand that the latency thing is a big issue with VR and AR because if if the human body, for example, turns its head and the application has too much latency, it can literally actually cause the user that's experiencing that to get physically ill or get vertigo, right? Yeah, and, and it's super complicated, in particularly in the case of VR or uh, augmented reality glasses. It's uh, a, a big challenge because uh, you don't have much space in the device. In, if you have a, a, a pair of glasses, uh, you don't have much space like you have in a phone to put chips, to put battery, to put all those elements. So for instance, one of the things that our engineers have done here to uh, achieve those challenges and put all this technology into a much more limited space is to split the chips. So what you do with one chip, let's say, one main uh, system on chip or processor in your phone, it can be done maybe with three or four chips in your augmented reality glasses because you need to uh, put one piece uh, in the glass, one piece on the sides, some pieces on the front, so you can basically distribute all the technology without using much space and still be able to provide all those uh, technologies. That, again, it's graphics, it's uh, low latency communications. Um, it's a lot that goes in there. Yeah, inter interesting enough, when you, you talk about chips and the mobile device and you know things have gotten smaller for sure, I did see that, you know, Qualcomm's chips, I, I think we underestimate the power of those chips of like, I, and I don't, uh, you might have to correct me on my terminology, but like one chip might have 2,500 different functions in the phone and things or, or modems within that chip. Is that, is that correct? Because it's really got smaller over the years in the newer phones, but it does so many things for the phone from the camera to different sensors and applications of the chip. It's what, what you have in your phone now and basically what I use in my hand to uh, watch cat videos or other videos on the internet, you have more compute power than uh, supercomputers from 20 or 25 years ago. What uh, only just top scientists access at that time, it's basically in a lot less than a lifetime overall. So the amount of power is impressive. And even if you compare like uh, what you can do with your phone versus what you can do with computers, gaming laptops or very advanced laptops, but on things like audio, on things like display, even the, you can see with the camera, cameras on phones are, of course, a lot better, right? And pack a lot more technology than a camera on a PC. And particularly, we, can, we could see a lot of that with the pandemic, right? Uh, because uh, when everyone was on... Um, uh, video call or video meetings, you can see, oh, man, the camera in my laptop is not really that great. 
overall. Uh, so yes, it packs a lot of power. And the challenge is how you can pack all that power and technology with such limited battery, right? It's just the amount of energy that you can pack, of course, in a phone. It's very, very limited, even more if you talk about augmented reality glasses or IoT sensors. So how you design technology that it's not only be able to play your games at 144 frames per second, uh, run your AI models on the device, uh, take and process all these uh, images and pictures that you can take uh, with several effects and capture video high resolution in a piece that still fits in your hand and can last the full day, if not more, in terms of battery. So the combination of the two things, very high demanding technology, but very low use of power of energy, it's uh, nothing short of uh, amazing or a miracle that uh, engineers over the world have been able to achieve is just an unsung hero <laughs> of technology, what these little machines can do for us today. Yeah, absolutely. We, we've talked about, you know, being, being the podcast called 5G Guys and, and, and on the topic of 5G, we've talked about how, you know, where we're at today really was really started in a lot of ways, in, in, in my opinion, by the advent of the first um, iPhone, right, back in 2007. And it, it gave users this new experience of it's not just a phone anymore. It is a computer in your hand. And that really prompted a lot of what we have in our 4G and 5G standards today because it was now demand by the user put on the device and the device had to catch up, right? Yeah. And, and now we see that with a new wave, with you, you see with generative AI, for instance, um, I think one of the uh, most amazing things I have seen right, um, in the last few months is uh, you see, of course, uh, most people now is familiar with ChatGPT right, or the generative AI models. Uh, there's another one called Stable Diffusion that you, you can put in a box, right, in a text box, a small prompt like, a, I want a cat um, playing soccer against dogs in an island. And it generally generates an image for you on that uh, simple prompt, right? That generative AI. Uh, all of that uh, until six months, right, uh, from now or three months from now is used to run on big cloud servers, right? You need farms of servers that can process all the data, run these um, models, and be able to generate and translate that small prompt into an image, right? Or just uh, a response. And uh, now we can do that in our phones only, right? Even in airplane mode. So uh, Qualcomm demonstrated uh, a few months back in a big conference, Mobile Congress, the first implementation of civil diffusion. This ability to turn prompts into uh, images, high quality render image, uh, only on an Android phone without any reliance on the cloud overall. So that goes back to uh, dance points, right? In terms of how much power now we have in our hands into these devices, uh, even in something that recent as generative AI, who now we would see uh, have been running so far only in big cloud servers. Now you can run it into your phone um, and we'll see more of that. It's nothing short of, I think, magic. Uh, in terms amazing. of what these little devices can do. That is so amazing. And the impact of that, um, you know, we've talked in other episodes about edge computing. I mean, that that is edge computing at its core, what you just described, right? We now take the need for 
the 5G network out of the equation in that in that use case, right? We don't have to push all this data back and forth over the cellular network to support that use case. It's all done right there locally in the user device. It's amazing. Yeah. At, at the end, what you will need is the combination of both, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what's happening, particularly generative AI, is that the amount of processing that's required to uh, translate these small prompts, conversations into images, into responses, it takes a lot of compute power. Um, if you take the example of search, right? Doing a traditional search, web search, uh, versus doing a generative AI search uh, or something like ChatGPT does, it takes uh, three to seven times the cost, right? Of doing a generative AI versus doing a traditional search overall. Imagine that impact in the bottom line of uh, web search companies. It's major. If you say, oh, everyone will start doing generative AI search instead of traditional search, and my cost will increase three to seven times, um, that's not good, right, for investors. So what probably will happen is that you will see the loads distributed. So you have some searches that you will be able to run, and the phone will be able to resolve that. If the search becomes too complicated, then might rely on the cloud or the cloud will somehow be verifying, right? Uh, what the uh, AI model in the phone is doing. So, okay, we have uh, um, our questions, search web, translate that, digest that into a generative AI response. If the response is good, the cloud will say, okay, that's fine. If the response needs improvement, okay, the cloud will take care of that, but you will need to distribute the load. Otherwise, uh, what we're seeing with generative AI will not be scalable at global level just using cloud farms overall. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. In, in a use case, um, this happened last week at, our, at, at my company. We were doing a marketing meeting and we had six individuals in the conference room where in the past they would have had their laptops, but we all had our mobiles and we developed using ChatGPT, I, I would say 20 pages of new content generation within minutes in this team and everyone was collaborative in their own prompts. And so the end result was we were super efficient in the room. We did not use our laptops only as a note taker. And we were all on our mobiles interpreting the content for the marketing campaign in real time within minutes. And so the productivity that we got back and the time that, you know, this technology does and the speed of it. I, I think it's pretty, I mean, it's just amazing how much time you win back in your day that you can do on other business tasks or other task periods. So, um, pretty amazing application of the phone and the processor in it in order to do that. And we're seeing it in the bottom line results of our company in real time right now already. And another aspect that is uh, important, what you're mentioning, Wayne, is aspect in terms of privacy and intellectual property protection. We already seen examples in the press, right, of companies that have blocked access to ChatGPT because they're concerned that if programmers are using uh, ChatGPT to refine code or uh, debug code, uh, then, okay, who is the owner of the resulting code overall? Or am I exposing uh, my uh, deepest secrets and secret sauce or what will be ne my next product uh, into the public, right? because the ownership of that data that's produced might be unclear. So we see now companies even forbidding, even entire countries like Italy, right? Um, 
kind of uh, forbidding the use of ChatGPT or let's say pass, pausing the, the, the use of such technology. So it's important also that we have a ways to turn some of these capabilities, not just from the cloud into the device itself, not just the phone, but also can be the PC, can be the car, can be others, uh, because also there's some uh, privacy and security implications or preferences on that. And so again, uh, we will not be able to scale these capabilities using only uh, cloud servers. You are right, Wade, in terms of the level of productivity that they can bring is amazing, but imagine the entire world using the same kind of capabilities, uh, it doesn't scale. We need to put the cloud to work, but they also need to put the edge devices to work to make this happen. That makes sense. It makes sense. Let's, let's, um, I want to circle back a little bit to your introduction of Qualcomm and, and how you basically explain that at the end of the day, Qualcomm is one of, one of the major players in, in the R&D of, of the technology that, that we have today and that we'll see in the future. And as part of that, that means you guys play a role in the development of the technology standards themselves. So for example, the 4G standard that everything was developed around and now the 5G standard that everything was developed around, you guys play a significant role in that, correct? Yes. Uh, one of the key, I'll say, uh, aspects of the company DNA is R&D. Remember that company was founded, right, by academics and uh, kind of a PhDs. That carries a lot of what the company is today in terms of the emphasis on doing uh, R&D across all levels, let's say, of 5G, right? Not just device, but the network, uh, system architecture or so. And the way to scale that and turn that at the end into products in a system that uh, works everywhere is standardization. So uh, the company, uh, Qualcomm, is very, very active in a 3GPP. That's the org international organization that takes care of the development of specifications for cellular technology. 3G first, that's why the name is 3GPP, mm -hmm. 3G Partnership Project. But that project was so successful that extended into 4G, 5G, and in the future will be 6G. There are discussions on what 6G will be. And yes, uh, Qualcomm and any other major company in cellular communications play a big role in that organism because that will define define what will be the future of our cellular communications or what is today. Got it. Got it. So in so in that regard then, uh, a lot of what we hear from listeners, um, other guests, is this discussion about, you know, we all experienced the transition from 3G to 4G and how impactful that was, the use cases that came with it, you know, as consumers, how it changed our lives. And and then we hear a lot of people talk about, well, 5G we were, you know, it's not turned out to be what we thought it was going to be. And I think there's this misperception of what 5G was intended to be, as well as what we're currently experiencing. Can you speak a little bit to your perspective on that? Yeah, I can speak a lot of that. <laughs> keep, me, <laughs> keep, me, keep me brief, um, Dan, on this. But uh, at the end, um, yes, for people who was uh, being exposed or was able to always have the latest and greatest and 4G, 5G feels about traditional, transitional than transformational. But in many aspects or for many other people, 5G has been a real change. And let me give you a, a few examples because the numbers telling another story. Let's take example, just in the US. In the US, the amount of data that has been consumed and increasing, right, in, in mobile networks in the last five years 
has grown about four times. So today, roughly we're using four times in mobile networks, the amount of data that we were using uh, five years ago, a little bit before the pandemic. Imagine if this was the highway infrastructure. Imagine that if in five years, will increase by four times the number of cars and trucks uh, driving through the highways and freeways. It will be a mess, right? It will, things will come to stall. But with cellular network, no, everything is running still very fine. Why? Thank you, 5G, for that. There's also other um, uh, kind of uh, measurements doing by companies like OpenSignal, who basically collect and process information from the cellular network performance on the field. And they have basically measured a significant enhancement in mobile experiences, particular video, right, and uh, speeds uh, across the United States and other countries. Uh, now, of course, we have, uh, for instance, social media. Uh, we have evolved social media from being just mostly text, like the early days on Facebook and some pictures, to some pictures and video. And now uh, we have things like TikTok that are pure video, right? Uh, people uploading the videos, people consuming the videos all the time, and they work just fine. Uh, if you switch those experiences today, even from 5G to the 4G network, uh, the experience will not be the same. For gaming, uh, what uh, Wayne was mentioning there, uh, also there have been measurements of how um, 5G, particularly millimeter wave, uh, is beating things like public Wi-Fi, right? In terms of performance. So remember that uh, apps used to train us to say, hey, if you're going to use data, uh, switch to Wi-Fi should be better. But now if you are in a coffee shop, uh, your 5G might be a lot better than your public Wi-Fi overall. And things that were unthinkable, right, with uh, 4G, uh, things like replacing the connection that you have, fixed connection that you have to your home. Uh, with 4G, it uh, was not competitive to replace cable, right? Or to compete with fiber or DSL in um, providing internet access. But if you watch the last Super Bowl, you saw T-Mobile doing a big marketing push, right? With John Travolta uh, making fun, right? Of the uh, cable companies and publicizing, investing big on their 5G home internet service because now the technology allows companies like Verizon, like T-Mobile, uh, not just satisfy the needs of mobile devices, but also provide internet access and bring in more competition to that space. And this is just the beginning, right? We are just three years in, into the deployment of 5G, uh, something that will keep growing um, for decades. So we still have to see the impact that will have in augmented reality with private networks in enterprises and productivity, more PCs, um, we're just at the beginning and we're seeing big changes. So yes, mm -hmm. if you had a very great 4G phone and you transition to a 5G phone in a area that's affluent and very well uh, covered by the network, yes, your increase and your change experience was a bit more, I'll say, evolutionary. But for things or countries like India with fixed-wireless access or for other people, even access unlimited data plans. Uh, and limited data plans were on pretty much disappearing uh, by the end of the last decade. And now they have seen a research in unlimited data plans from all major carriers because now they have capacity because they have 5G. So even right. your wallet is benefiting from that. 
I told you that I can speak a lot on, on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> I, have my, I, I have my passion points on this. And yes, I can see how so, for some people uh, with access to uh, good networks and good phones, it feels don't feel much revolutionary, but uh, the data states otherwise. That's a good point. That's a really good perspective. As you know, in the past, when we would go from 2G to 3G, and before we, we went from 3G to 4G, there was these what I'll call point releases, right? Where there was enhancements to 3G that were you know significant improvements, but they weren't um, as transformational as going to 4G. And then the same thing happened again within 4G. Are we seeing or are we on the precipice of something similar within 5G. I understand there's, you know, 5G advanced, for example, is, is are we going to see some significant improvements within 5G prior to 6G? And what, what might those look like? Yes. Um, taking history, right, as you mentioned, as a, a example or to provide perspective, the 4G on 2020, let's say by the end of the last decade, was very, very different from the 4G that we had at the beginning, right, of LTE, let's say on a 2010 timeframe. So in the span of 10 years, the technology evolved a lot. A peak speeds went up about one order of magnitude or so with the technology. We saw things with 4G like carry irrigation, so ability to uh, bring together more spectrum frequencies. Uh, it's like building more uh, freeway lanes, right? to put more data as well, uh, technologies that ability to use multiple antennas. So be able to send multiple streams of data at the same time using the same frequency and even going on the other side of the spectrum, downsizing the technology to be able to support IoT devices, what called LTEM or LTE and BIoT. Basically, LTE uh, downsized in a way that can be put in a smart meter that needs to last several years, right? Running on uh, two AA batteries. All of things were evolved. And what we saw at the end of the uh, developments of 4G was very different from the 4G that we saw at the very beginning. And we will see the same with 5G. Um, in a few, in a couple of years, we'll see the launch of 5G Advance, which will bring uh, many new capabilities like uh, the ability to use even more antennas, the ability to use AI, right, to be able to predict, right, what will be wireless conditions and therefore be able to allow the system, both the base station and the device, to improve communication and at the end improve speeds, improve coverage. And we'll see developments on um, 5G configurations to serve augmented reality and virtual reality devices. And also, something that to me was amazing that using 5G for things that are not even to send data, uh, using 5G, for instance, for positioning. So if you have, let's say, in a city, a port, or a manufacturing plant, and you can identify the location of uh, robots or people or assets uh, using 5G infrastructure, uh, that's not about sending data back and forth. It's just about using the signals and the infrastructure and devices on 5G to be able to understand where on earth are these devices. All those things are being considered into what's 5G advanced. And I should tell you, if history is a precedent, that will be a harbinger of what we'll see with 6G. Specifications for 6G have not started being built. Uh, there's an early discussion in the industry, but still the idea of what 6G will be exactly 
it's a bit fuzzy, but probably looking at 5G advance will be the best harbinger and the best predictor of what will end up being built into what will be 6G specifications. So Wayne and I are safe to call ourselves 5G guys for a while, and we don't have to switch to 6G guys uh, anytime soon, hopefully. <laughs> I'll start thinking about that 2025 or so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then maybe when the, the right time to uh, transition the name, or do we have to be 5G is a lot 6G guys for a while. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing hearing you talk and really for someone who's been in the industry like Dan and I to understand your contribution to wireless technology over the years. As I sit and look, um, I researched this morning, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 2 processor, and I looked through the specifications and capability in that one processor. It's really a combination of every technology that we use wirelessly from Bluetooth to Wi-Fi to cellular. It's, it's super amazing of the contribution that Qualcomm has made within the industry and continues to make within the industry. And I, I want to be very humble here because, of course, it's not me, right? It's the company. But the end, <laughs> my, my, from my perspective, uh, has been a pleasure. At the end, you see the faces of people, right? At the end, you see yeah. uh, the engineers uh, working long hours, doing their presentations, very passionate about uh, making one small contribution to the specifications that they feel will change things. So you, when you put effort, it's a lot of very humble people working very long hours and discussing a lot in a very academic, I'll say, fashion, how to uh, make things better. It's, it's very re rewarding on my end. Well, well, we really appreciate you taking a few minutes away from your focus on all that R&D and all that amazing work you guys do to, uh, to chat with Wayne and I and, and our listeners. And uh, it, it, this has been an amazing uh, uh, time with you today, and, and we, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to to talk with us and, and, and educate us and tell us, you know, everything that Qualcomm has going on. So, um, Ignacio, you know, appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, and, uh, we, we look forward to staying in touch and hearing, uh, hearing more about what you guys are working on. It has been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Wayne. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the five G guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.